time for the morning brief where we bring in one of our pundits for their take on the day's big stories. And today the morning brief is with Mark Tui, advisor to business and political leaders. Nice to have you, sir. Hey, that's me. Yeah. Good to be here, John Moore. All right, so you've been through this process. You used to be the chief of staff to a mayor of Toronto. We're in the final gyrations of trying to figure out what the budget is going to be. And yesterday, Olivia Chow, I guess we could say, I'm interested in your take, blinked on the idea of increasing taxes on rental properties. She's going to keep it at a threshold where... Uh, people's rents are not going to skyrocket just as a result of this. And that's a nice idea, but it also means that, you know, she's depriving the city treasury of some money. Yeah, I, I, I would never use the phrase depriving the treasury of the money because the money belongs to the people in the first place. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, what most people in uh, Toronto, including most renters who are most people in Toronto, don't understand uh, and aren't aware of is that renters in the city of Toronto pay more, per, you know, per head proportionally uh, property taxes than homeowners do because the rent, the tax rate on multi-residential homes is far higher than it is on single-family homes. And so that's always been the case. Uh, various, uh, municip- or, uh, various mayors have made moves to try to level the playing field just a little bit. Uh, so when this process was started and the staff presented this budget uh, to the mayor, they would have known this. And she was a city councillor here. She would have known this. And as mayor, she's had time to to learn this in the budget consultations. So I suspect, John, that this is mostly a flourish for uh, our benefit. Uh, I suspect that there probably was never any intention uh, to leave that rate higher for renters and that uh, there was always a plan to, at the last minute, come in on a white steed and rescue the renters in distress. I have to wonder if the renters are really taking note, though. It's like, oh, oh, Olivia Chow, we dodged the acts here. Well, I think the people who represent the renters are taking note, and they are staunch NDP loyalists. The uh, Federation of uh, Metro Tenants Associations and their ilk uh, are part and parcel with uh, organized uh, labor, and so they're very much uh, of Olivia Chow's uh, base, and so they will have noted that from the outset and made a stink about it, and I'm sure she reassured them that, no, don't worry, we'll find a way to fix it. Speaking of the budget, the chief of police is going to be in our studios this morning at 9.05 to make his final pitch. What would you like to hear from him? Uh, I'd like to find out how many police officers Toronto should have. Mm-hmm. It's a question that while I was at City Hall, City Council asked the police chief of the day, Bill Blair at the time, three times on three different occasions. He never answered. Uh, subsequent uh, to him, Police Chief Mark Saunders led as a dodge to avoid having to uh, justify his budget increase. Uh, he promised to do a transformation task force. They did that. Absolutely nothing came of it. He promised me in a room full of reporters that he would reduce their budget ask by $25 million. It went up. Um, but the question, and, and that transformation task force did say that Toronto needed 5,000 police officers. And police will tell you till the cows come home that they had more officers for fewer population back in the day. But at no point in the history of Toronto has anybody ever figured out how many cops we actually need to keep the city safe. So I would start 
start with that. Ottawa is punting once again on medically assisted death. Uh, there was supposed to be an expansion, which was ordered by the courts, I might add. So I'm not sure what kind of a legal footing the government's going to be on here. They don't have a legal footing, they don't have a moral footing, and this pisses me off. Uh, as someone who lives with mental illness, I don't foresee needing to ask for MAID at some point in the future, but by God, I would like the same human rights as every other Canadian, and yet they're denied people with mental illness. It puts the lie to the fiction that mental illness is the same as physical illness, that mental health is health. It, that's just all BS. Uh, the government proves it. Uh, every party in the parliament has uh, stood up for inequity. And once again, people with mental illness are left holding the bag. They have no recourse. This society, this country, this government, this parliament insists that they live in suffering with no promise of any type of remediation except throwing themselves in front of a train. And that is not a Canada I want to live in. Okay, well, I'd, I'd like to explore that further. So, I mean, you are advocating for the idea that if somebody for mental health reasons would like to end their life, that the medical profession or the government, whatever you have, however you want to characterize it, should assist. If there, if there are medical reasons, yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now, any person can go out and jump in front of a bus or off a building or kill themselves. That's been legal since the 1970s. And that is, in fact, what mentally ill people do when they have run out of options. And there are few options. And yes, we should have more options, but the fact is we don't. And so if you've run out of options, 4,500 Canadians every year choose to take their own lives. By God, it would be nice if they didn't have to do it in a bloody messy w way that affected the people who had to clean up after them and traumatize their loved ones. If they were allowed to have a modicum of dignity at the end of their lives, like every other Canadian, that would be a good thing. There's an interesting think piece in the BBC about why Canada is so vulnerable to foreign meddling in politics and elections. I have my own theories, but I'd be curious to hear yours. At the heart of it, John, I think, you know, I would be trite and say Canada is just not a serious country. We just don't believe that, you know, all the stuff we see in movies about spies and espionage and corporate uh, malfeasance uh, actually happens here. And it does happen here. But I don't know what the answer is, and I'm going to try to say this without sounding like an old, uh, pure land Canadian. But we have lost our sense of national identity. It doesn't, and our prime minister said it, we're the first post-national state, he described us at one point early in his prime ministership. And so if it doesn't mean anything to be Canadian, then we open the doors to people and we encourage them. And I kind of like the fact that we're the mosaic, not the melting pot, that you keep some of your old culture with you. But more and more, it seems like we're allowing people to come to Canada and we need people to come to Canada but we're encouraging them to bring with them their baggage. We're encouraging, you know, six to come with their, their sort of territorial ambitions back home. And we're not encouraging them anymore to say, hey, this is a new land with a promise of new opportunity. We would like you to focus on that. And because we retain these connections with the old world, I think that just opens the door to be manipulated by all of the politics that happens there. Yeah, I mean, my own theory is that because 
so much of our population is composed of people who came from elsewhere, They're, those domestic governments are going to meddle. And so, for example, the disputes between Muslims and Hindus in India are going to end up in Canada. But I also, and you know, I'd be curious about your thoughts on this, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. Uh, Irish Catholics and Protestants used to kill each other in the streets of Toronto. Yeah. But today it seems to be, I don't know, and maybe it's uh, a bit of institutional racism in that we don't step up to protect, uh, you know, Indians and, and Chinese, uh, you know, Canadians who have come from there to here for a better life. And yet they're dogged by the same agents of uh, oppression that they left behind. And we do nothing about it because we're afraid to be called racist by sort of saying, you know what, it's wrong for the Communist Party of China to chase down people in the streets here and intimidate them into doing things. Uh, I think we need to get over that somehow. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Thanks, John. That is Mark Tui on the morning brief.